0: Welcome to Wish I Could Play, a podcast dedicated to people who have always wanted to get into tabletop role-playing games, but have never had the chance. My name is Morshotti, here to say you can. Hey, it's Morshotti. As you can probably tell, I haven't released an episode since June. I recorded this episode in July, but unfortunately because of life, I haven't released it. I'll be releasing this episode in two parts. First, the interview, and within the next week or so, the second half containing the game we played. Apologies for not updating the podcast, and I'll hopefully be posting regular updates soon. Thank you very much. Probably got a big old notice. Hey, someone's recording. In this episode of Wish I Could Play, we are not going to be talking with someone who is new to the tabletop space, but is an experienced GM and player, David Easley, keeper and host of the Trials of the Apocalypse podcast. David, thank you so much for being on the podcast. How are you doing today?
1: I am doing rather good today. I am super happy to be here. I've been looking forward to this all week and I'm, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. I am low on water and I will regret that later, but for now I still have enough. So
0: I mean, you always, always walk away from the table yeah yeah the entire time. That's also the best thing about recording. You can always, you know, you can always just stop. (laughs) Everything can change in post. Indeed. Um, Let us, you know, tell us a little about
1: yourself. Sure. Um, where do you want me to start? I'm six foot three. Uh, <laughs> yes, but I once you your sign? Do, you, um, uh, do
0: you like taking long walks off the, off a short pier? like Things like that.
1: Long walks off a short pier? It's not yeah. a very long walk if I go off the pier. You know, We're yeah, going right in the water at that point. Um, oh, geez. Well, uh, as was mentioned, I, I host a show called Trials of the Apocalypse. It's what I'm best known on the internet for, um, where we do... We call them one-shot stories. They are sometimes a little bit longer than that, but they're short-form stories in different Powered by the Apocalypse games. Uh, we've had a tumultuous time trying to switch to doing some live stuff for a while while the podcast is on hiatus, uh, and eventually we will make more live content. But uh, for now, uh, we're, we're just sort of coasting. We're, we're hanging out, talking to people, and uh, playing games when we can um and uh today we're we're gonna have a little bit of a chat and then play a little bit here i think
0: yeah let me you, let me ask you a question um yeah now i have been following the trials of the apocalypse uh since you initially posted about it a long time ago
1: yeah it h- seems h- so h- far hilariously early you, you were like in yeah. like the, the first i think four or five people who actually like heard the show who weren't personal friends of mine like in, yeah yeah no yeah i think life. you posted
0: it on a a uh yeah either the, either the power by apocalypse group or monster of the week group i can't remember which one yeah uh saying like hey we've got this like you know this podcast sure? i was like oh what?" looking for another one <laughs> and then uh you know i i was hooked why did you choose specifically pbta to focus on because that's what all your arcs are it's all yeah. apocalypse world undying um Bay, right
1: uh, it's uh, our order no, so no. far. I, I think I can. I think I can still do this. We're, we're getting up there, so it gets harder every time. Uh, so far, we have Apocalypse World, Undying, Ghost Lines, Brindlewood Bay, Monster of the No, The Watch, Monster of the Week, um, Pig Smoke, and the Between Ghosts of El Paso. Yeah, I might have dropped one in the list, but I think I think no, that's, I think, I think
0: that's no, I think you got them all. Uh,
1: yeah. So we, I say we. <laughs> this this whole show was my I, I want to say the self-deprecating side of myself is like my dumb idea but it's actually a pretty good idea I think um we we here being uh me and uh my wife Emma who's also like my creative partner in many many things um like I'd been running at that time a lot of d but I'd like experimented out in some different systems uh and had a lot of uh positive feedback from from running those and enjoyed playing those And uh, I really wanted to explore more uh, PBTA games because I'd uh, heard a little bit of uh, some folks playing Monster of the Week and was interested in that. Um, I had been looking into other systems and a lot of them that I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. Like, oh, that sounds really neat. Um, Kept coming up and like, they were like, oh, Powered by the Apocalypse, Powered by the Apocalypse, Powered by the Apocalypse. And I was like, maybe I just like this format. And and this like, uh, I, I say format because like, PBTA is actually bigger than that. It's it's a lot more about like the design philosophy uh, around how a game should should play uh, mm-hmm. rather than these specific mechanics. But I was just really intrigued by a lot of PBTA systems uh, on my short list at the time of ones that I wanted to play. The most were from PBTA. And I, was, I realized as we were uh, conceiving of the podcast and uh, trying to figure out what our angle was, um, I definitely wanted to do one shot stuff. I wanted it to be very inca- like self encapsulated because at the time I was a novice both to running games on mic uh, and also like podcast editing. Um, and uh, I wanted people who were new to the show to be able to join us on whatever arc we were currently playing and then go back and listen to stuff if they wanted to and wouldn't feel like compelled. If we were doing like a long you know, 30, 50 episode plus story uh, then now somebody has to go back and listen to the early stuff, which might not be like as good as the recent stuff. Uh, and I wanted it to, each arc is its own and you can go and listen to them if you want to, but there's no you know, impetus. You don't have to, to understand what's going on later. Um, so with that decided, I was like, well, this still feel, I feel like this idea could be a little bit tighter um, and the like sell to somebody who's giving up their time to like listen to our show could be, more clear like what we're offering could be clearer and so i decided that it'd be it'd be cool if we actually like limited our scope and had like a little bit of an educational angle um obviously like when we get to the actual gameplay I, i think we're hardly an educational show uh but we do like try our best to explain the systems that we're going to play and uh be transparent about how we do our our world building and stuff during setup Uh, And that's kind of like the educational bent for people who are interested in learning about a new system. And then for people who are just there to like hear a actual play story and and hear this improvised story play out, then they can just listen to the gameplay and and hop right in. Um, And we settled on Power by the Apocalypse purely because there was just like a dozen of them that I wanted to play at the time. And I was like, you know, if part of the goal of this podcast is to let me run more games uh, in more systems, then I'm just gonna, this seems like a really rich vein to mine and uh, I'm happy to, you know, swing my pickaxe there and and see what I dig up.
0: Oh, it definitely is a rich vein to mine. I have an entire G drive full of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, so was the was Apocalypse World the first one that you run and GM'd or or played and GM'd or Apocalypse
1: World was the first powered by the Apocalypse game, uh, true true to form, uh, that I ever ran. Okay, what about played? Um the Monster of the Week was the first one I ever played and that was like a year later. Uh I
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you you just full on just dive into I the, dove the, right into, in. into the deep uh, end. Okay.
1: The first time I have ever run a PBTA game is on mic for the first, you know, for the first arc of the show. Um and goodness gracious, by the time we got to the end of that, I I still was like, okay, I feel like I kind of get what's going on with PBTA, but like there's definitely a lot of like holes in how I I executed this. And then sometime midway through Undying, it like, especially like that one is like very different handling yeah. of, of PBTA principles. And like about halfway through that game, I don't know what happened. Just in my brain, it just finally clicked. And I was like, oh, that's how all this works. That's how like, this is all supposed to work. Mm-hmm. And I think ever since then, like there are times when I've missed a particular mechanic or something in a, in a game because we don't have time or uh, I forget about it. Uh, but for the most part, I think at that point, I I know it feels weird to say like oh yeah second game in I knew what I was doing, but I knew a lot better what I was doing than when we started uh, because that was very jumping in jumping in cold water, right away. Yeah, and that, and when
0: that's that's what I love about about Power by the Apocalypse because every single one always adds a dimension to it, right? Like Because yeah. my first game that I also uh, did was I jumped into and running. A convention game of monster of the week that has been the that was the first time i'd experienced anything wow Col- and I cold decided,
1: open monster of the week at a convention that is tough
0: yeah not only that i ran three three games of of monster of the week uh my first game was only like i think four people signed up because no one had heard of it mm-hmm. and then that snowballed into my next game and i got ended up getting two of the same players and then four more because <laughs> they brought people in and then my last game of the convention, I ended up, and this is a mistake for any pe- anyone who is a who is a new GM, especially Empowered by the Apocalypse. I, I had already I had set it out to be a max of five people at per table. But it was the one of the last games of the convention. And I had some people who were wanting to play, and then people who had had missed out on the the first two games because they were also jamming. And I was like, yeah, sure, why mm-hmm. not go ahead and jump in? And then people who had already played, so they knew how to play. And I was like, "Uh, yeah, sure. I ended up with a table of eight people.
1: Oh, my goodness. For Monster of the Week. I have run uh, one. It it was ostensibly the start of like a mini campaign, but we quickly realized it was untenable. I did start a table that had, uh, it was either nine or ten people. Um, It was raw hubris that thought that that would work. Um, It It, did
0: not. and it can but the problem mm. is is that in a convention setting oh yeah it was it like new people so who haven't hard. played together yeah and uh, and a lot of it though is i don't think i've ever had the same experience twice when it comes to a convention game because well, at least with that one i would probably say it's my most successful one and also the one that um it was the hardest Mainly because I had two players. One was a, it was a dad and, and a daughter, and she mm-hmm. was just like the quietest like mouse. She would only talk to her dad, like, and she wanted to play. I think she played the spooky. Yeah, she played the spooky. Screw was playboy. like, yeah, and he was. I can't remember what it was. I think it was uh it was a monstrous. No, wronged. He played the wronged, and he was like a ghost cowboy. And she was, like, this teenager who is now attached to him in some way and, like, just keeps him in line and keeps him in check. Would barely talk. I would try to bring her in, and she would give her what she would want to do to her dad, and he would say what it was. Totally fine. You know, however people want to play it, that's fine. This table was huge. And so I'd have like side conversations going on constantly, and then eventually people started actually lining up around because they were just like, "What the hell's going on over here? This is a huge table." And I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> so other conversations. What was great about it though was because I was listening to the side conversations, I was able to bring in stuff at the same time because they were talking about like, "Oh yeah, I got this character," blah, 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 blah. like they're part of the mafia, blah, 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 blah. and I just like when I go back, they didn't mention that they were part of the mafia, and I just bring it in that they're you know someone from the mafia is coming after them like they're wanting they're wanting to do this that or the other and i'm like they were like what i was like you were just talking about it you're at the table this is fair well, my game. Success, <laughs> yeah my success story on that is by the end of it uh this daughter was like yelling out her what she wanted to do she was like jumping up and it's like that thing of like like yeah. when they throw throw down the cake and everyone like she ended up killing the monster with the final blow and everyone just exploded. It was fantastic. Apparently her dad told me that she had just the most fabulous time
1: and she wanted, awesome. she wanted to buy the book. That is so good. That's so that's such a good convention story.
0: Yeah, and I it, that's that right there is the reason why I run convention games mm-hmm. is for that. So uh, um, I don't know where I was going with that, <laughs> but it's okay. It's
1: a, good, it's a good place to start. It uh, is a good place
0: to start. But that oh that's right. The differences between all the games. So yeah. Monster of the Week was one I ran for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty much all I would I would run. And then I was like, well, there are other games out there. And I, I started buying more and more and more. And I think in terms of changing the way I run games and changing GMing, the two games that made me like that switched for me mm-hmm. was Monster Hearts and Dream Askew. Mm, yeah. Monster of the Week is very, like, formulaic. I I, I call it the, the meat and potatoes of PBTA. It's very, <laughs> like, you can just lay everything down. Everyone, know, everyone knows, like, hey, it's the beginning, middle, and end. Done. Yeah. Right? But, like, Monster Hearts and Dream Askew are both, by Avery Alder, they have this, like, depth to them. And mm-hmm. even if someone doesn't want to run them, I always recommend those two games. as something that you should have in your toolbox. And it just kind of, like, improved things for me in for my for my for my gming at least with with pbta
1: yeah i every alder writes incredible stuff i know um the quiet year is my favorite new game to run for people if if i'm running with people who have like never played a ttrpg before Mm -hmm. um i love to start them with the quiet year because it's like immediately graspable um, the role play is like there, but it's light. So you don't have to, if you're not like comfortable, or you're not familiar with how to engage with it yet. Um, it's, it's, it doesn't demand as much from you, but it's still like, it gets your brain building. Um, I don't know. I, and, and that's like just an example. Uh, I, I've I would love to play everything that Avery has ever made because everything that I've read has been fantastic.
0: Yeah, they're, they're, their design philosophy for most of their games is just, it's almost a, I, everything that I've read um, that I, that I own at least it's almost, it, it strikes me as it's like, this is more, very much more than a game. Like take the game yeah. out of it. Be more about who you are, what you are, what you're representing, and mm-hmm. then play the game. And that's where I, that's where my mindset changed. I was like, these are characters I that should matter. And that's and that's definitely where it where it clicked for me. In terms of what you said just said, actually, um, for people who have never played a game, you use the quiet ear, which is a game I've always wanted to play. I have the PDF,
1: but I don't have I want the cards. (laughs) I I found one of the like Kickstarter sets in uh, a game store near me. So I, I have the cards. I have the nice burlap sack and the little, the little skull tokens for uh, contempt. Yeah, it's great. It's fantastic. Nice.
0: I can see why that would definitely be good for someone who's never played Mm -hmm. uh, an RPG, especially getting them into that map building and, and that lore building and the RPG building. And I like again meat and potatoes. I like using Monster of the Week as an introduction yeah. for people who've never, because it's very good. Everyone has a yeah, some media touchstone to some kind of supernatural-ish something, either a book, a movie, TV show, anything. It's, it's very open and very wide. But there are definitely some PBTA games out there that are not player <laughs> player friendly. Have you run across any of that that you wouldn't um, you'd be like, oh no, 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 you can't, no, we can't. We gotta put that one back. You're not you're not ready for that.
1: I would like two that come to brain immediately are uh, I think undying is not one you should probably play first because uh, for people who aren't familiar with like the, the pace of conversation in a PBTA game, um, the lack of rolling is going to be really confusing. Um, actually, I guess I would say for, for anyone who's like coming new to PBTA undying would be a very confusing offering mm-hmm. Um if you're like familiar at all with any other RPG, because like there, there is no dice rolling, um, how the pace of play it's like very implicit. Um, there is of course like the the other ways of controlling outcomes with like blood and um, the betting and stuff, but it's pretty atypical. And I feel like people who don't already have a pretty firm foundation uh, are going to be at want trying to figure out like what to do like
0: they're going to be focusing they're, they're, too they're, much on the
1: mechanics than the playing yeah, itself. It's, it's gonna, yeah. It's it's going to be hard to figure out how to engage with that. Um but like once you do it like I is a great game. Um it, it's a dark game, but it's it's a great game. Mm-hmm. Um
0: Yeah, that anti system, that blood anti system is really interesting. That it's also the hardest part to to get yeah. nailed down and uh but yeah, once you get get it straight in your head,
1: it's like, "Oh, okay. Okay, that makes sense." And it makes for, like, super all-or-nothing encounters, which is, like, very intrinsic to how it thinks of vampires clashing. So it's it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's a good game. Um, that one, I would say, is, like, not terribly uh, immediately friendly. Um, the other one that came to mind was uh, any, like, not necessarily any, but some short, like, single pager or like the one that popped in my head was Ghost Lines, which is a four pager uh, by John Harper. It's a fantastic game, lots of great tech in it. Um, but if you, if you haven't already run or read or otherwise played Apocalypse World or really any like kind of core mechanic uh, PBTA system, um, it's, it, is, it just doesn't have any of that keeper advice or information um, hmm. or player advice or information. And so like, if you just read it and you have no other context, and then you go to play it, uh, you're, you're going, you're not going to have a bad time because like, there's still lots of good game there, but you're going to have a confusing time um, because you're not, it's not immediately apparent how, when these roles are called for or how they work or like, so at any time where you don't have a lot of that description there, that let's sort of keeper or player advice. Um, I think that can make it harder because like, as I mentioned, I played apocalypse world first and Apocalypse World is the system that started it all. Uh, and uh, it has lots of really good keeper resources in it. And still, it wasn't until like my second PBTA and beyond where like things started to click for what it wants from you. Um, and I think people who are coming in cold, it's just like, it's a, it can be a little bit... So it's like handing a complicated tool to someone without any any
0: instruction manual.
1: yeah. Uh, You you really need the instruction manual if it's like your first, you know, touch with it. Um, Actually, I feel like the people who do the best coming to PBTA for the first time are people with either a theater or improv background, um, specifically because a lot of those like warm up games that you have in those actually play a lot like a PBTA conversation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so if you already have a background with those, then it's, I think, an easier transition um, whereas weirdly enough, if you have other gaming background, uh, specifically with more sandbox oriented systems, like for example, D and D, um, but really any in that fairly broad category, um, coming to PBTA can be a bit jarring at first because mm-hmm. of its like narrative first approach instead of its sort of sandbox resolution, it's physics, you know, based approach and, uh, I, I say that and there's like somebody out there already who's like throwing their fist in the air and they're like, well, my, my D&D table is very narrative forward. And like as somebody who has like a very narrative forward D&D table, it, the game still plays fundamentally different. Yeah, uh, very different. And, yeah. Uh, it, well, I wouldn't say very different, but different, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's a different experience. And uh, if you don't know, if you don't have, especially if you don't have somebody like experience to kind of like bring you into that, it can be tough. Um, mm-hmm. but I mean, I think monster of the week's a great, like introductory to PBTA, although there's like a lot of, there's a lot of depth to it. Uh, so, but one of the nice things about power by the apocalypse, uh, at least how it's usually implemented is generally speaking, players only have to know their playbook and barely that, uh, yep, in order to play. That. And so it makes it easy to onboard new people. Like it's a great convention game for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Monsters of the week is the one that I, I, I get to, um, convert D D. The the quote unquote Dnd bros. Yeah. Because they're like, oh whatever, man. You only use two D6. And I was like, yeah, here, man. Which one do we want? Well, what's this one? Oh, that's the one that's like Xander from Buffy. Yeah, I'll do that one. And then they end <laughs> up it's the cra- I get the craziest results whenever, whenever someone plays mundane and they're a DD Dnd person because they try to do things, but they don't have powers. And I'm like, that doesn't mean anything. The
1: mundane is the most powerful playbook in that game. Yeah,
0: it's the, it's the <laughs> second. I don't. I don't know if anyone knows this out there who's listening, but understand that the mundane is the secondary keeper. Yeah, if you read it, they're also a keeper because they can create things with their powers. They can create the, things in the narrative.
1: The mundane is like reading through it. It in exchange for not being air quotes the coolest character in Monster of the Week. You are the most powerful because like i mean it's it's the archetype right monster of the week is about monster of the week stories and the character who doesn't have the powers has to have the most narrative power because otherwise they'd be dead in this world uh and so as a result yeah no they're super pbt in general eschews balance as a as a hard concept Mm -hmm. um i i think that's a a pretty clear take from the system It's, it's not really about it's not that there's like no sense of balance. It's that balance yeah. is not the not as important when you have uh the conversational structure that it has. Um, yeah,
0: and that well, and that's like it comes down to the, like um like what kind of playbook versus playbook were the uh I think the term was a uh, PC even evenness. Yeah, yeah, where all the playbooks are basically the same, they just fit a different role. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or like the mundane, where it's like the least powerful character, but they have yep. other things. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I I discovered in amongst my uh, researching you, David, a very nice little uh, PDF about oh. all that stuff. <laughs> Since we talk about what systems are not, what other than, I mean, I like I said, for mine is Monster of the Week, what would be the one that's yours that you'd be like, okay. You want to play PBTA. Let's, let's, let's break this out. I can, uh, I could do this tonight. What's your go bag PBTA.
1: My, my go bag PBTA is Brindlewood Bay. Um, because most people I'm around are down to get their granny on. Uh, sorry. Sorry. For anyone listening. Uh, Brindlewood Bay wow. is, uh, <laughs> Brindlewood Bay is a game where you play retired old ladies in, in the titular town of Brindlewood Bay, uh, who solve their local murder mysteries as part of their book club. Um, And there's also this underlying like cosmic horror element as there's this uh, cult that is trying to uh, bring back a a child of Persephone and like all this crazy stuff happening under the scenes. But that's all like part of the set dressing. It only matters in like a long-term campaign. But it means that even your one shots are can can end up in a very weird as hell place. Um, And for me, the simplicity of Brindlewood Bay because it is, it is the basically the tightest version of the card from Brindlewood mystery resolution system. Um, And yet it still has all the trappings necessary to evoke a really distinct sense of genre Uh, for anyone who's seen murder. She wrote or watched the golden girls or like has any sense of that kind of catty conversational cozy, creepy mystery stuff. um, It, it is immediately evocative of it. And even if you aren't, it's a really easy genre to grasp Um, and yeah the system's just so easy to explain it's like so quick to write up characters and it's so quick and collaborative to write up characters but not as lengthy as like say uh, history questions are in uh, Apocalypse World or Monster of the Week which can get a little bit like they build more depth of course but they're not quite as fast as like the the whole group helping to assign cozy places uh, cozy place items in Brindlewood Bay which is a lot like quicker of a process Um, and since the mystery itself um, all you need is the trappings you need like your clues your your suspects your your premise Um, to me it's a lower prep alternative than most other systems because I mean yeah I I can either grab a a pre-made out of the book or one of the ones that I've worked on or heck I could probably just crank one out off the dome uh, for a a Brentwood Bay game and with no prep bring people into the system and, and play. Um, but it's also one, I think the system that's best for a one shot is the one that the person running it is most experienced with within reason. There are still some systems that are tough to run for a one shot, but within the category of games that are like, okay, for doing it, it's the one that you like, you know, you're most familiar with because Brindlewood Bay at this point is the game that I have run the PBTA game, at least that I've run the most. Uh, and so I'm, I'm just at this point, like it's a well-oiled machine. I know how to do it and it's pretty easy to dive in. So you said earlier that Monster of the Week is the first PBT that you ran. Yeah. Um what what was the first one after that?
0: One after that one
1: was Epileon if Ooh. I remember correctly. I've wanted to play Epileon, but I haven't gotten around to it yet.
0: Yeah, and so all of my mo- most of my gaming running games have mm-hmm. all been either at conventions, online Discord servers, or for charity or AP streams. Gotcha. I don't have an at-home group. Mm-hmm. I don't have anyone nearby, nearby me. Even when I did have anyone nearby me, I didn't ever get together. Like where my energy for gaming comes from is I, I'm like an energy vampire at conventions. Mm-hmm. I like the more people who are around me who like are having fun, the more energy I have, the longer I can go. The next convention that I ran that I was like okay I need to do something different I need to bring in something other than monster of the week what do I bring in and I had just gotten an order for masks Epileon,
1: and something else I can't remember what it was masks is another I haven't had a chance to run yet
0: yeah I have opinions
1: on masks <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> um but Epileon, and so I got that I got both books which, it's such a great little game, Um, and I love the second one. If you don't have the uh, the uh Draconica get that, because it's got some okay. great stories in it, and it's got the stories are written in such a way that they're prompts for a for a game, but it's mm-hmm. like lore stories. Like, oh, cool. This is the story of how we discovered this, blah, 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 blah. And then it's a prompt for, like, your characters to go discover it. And so I'm just, like, that. sitting there going, oh
1: my god, this is so no, I only have the base game. I don't know.
0: Yeah. One. So I ran that one at the convention as well. Um, because it, it just comes with everything, right? Okay, you get little doodads because each person gets like 10 little gems. I brought mm-hmm. those in little little baggies I got from the dollar store, brought a big b- piece of you know butcher paper and like a drew an outline of the of Dragonia. And I was like, okay, okay here's here's what we need. Like, here's do this, this. This and I was like, just start marking up the whole mark. And I was like, I walked away for a second, to let them kind of handle themselves came back and the map was just like holy hell what the hell (laughs) (laughs) and then i also bought the deck of cards Mm -hmm. and so i didn't really have any kind of plan other than the fact that the characters were all uh hatchlings and it was their first day of of getting a um their first mission essentially yeah and so as they are Heading up, I'm like just describing them going to the great hall and they're all just like doing whatever they get there and I just like toss a bunch of the cards on the table and they're like, what the hell's going on? I was like, these are all the people that are looking, all, all the you know, all the ones looking for hatchlings to do things for them. I was like, you need to start searching for things because other hatchlings are there. And I'm like pulling cards away, pulling cards away. And like, there's not, not many left, not many left. And so they're like scrambling and they're trying to decide because they're all, you know, they're all siblings, right? From the same mm-hmm. clutch. And they're just like arguing with each other, like siblings would, and until they finally chose one. And I just picked up and like used it from there. And then I ended up using the cards later on and like some were like, like, weren't those ones uh, in the hall earlier? Like, yeah. And they got sent on a mission and now you're trying to save them. And so it was a really great experience. After that, I think I started running. I have so many games. Hold on. (laughs) What did I run? I try to run something new at least in half of my games that I run at whatever Mm. conventions, If I either, if the normal ones that I go to always expect me to run Monster of the Week, I get messages saying, am I coming? Are you running Monster of the Week? I'm like, yeah, I'm running a one game of Monster of the Week. (laughs) Other people have started running it, so I've actually pulled back. Yeah. But I always try to bring something new to the table. Like Mm -hmm. last last year, I, uh, I ran Sleepaway. Yeah. Which is very hard to do in a convention setting middle of the day <laughs> when people can't hear you mm-hmm. and talk about um, having a hard time explaining the mechanics of like say something to the effect of like uh, not being able to roll things in undying, trying yeah. to break that role play mechanic and that for all that. And then sw- whop it out to sleep away and how sleep away works that did not go well (laughs) (laughs) it it's it's a little bit of a harder one to do as a cell for uh as a convention game again i think i i might find a different belonging outside belonging to bring Mm -hmm. um and try to do maybe
1: a little longer
0: of an hour slot
1: but makes me wonder how this kind of sparked my brain Well, I wonder how difficult it would be to run something like Bluebeard's Bride at a convention, Uh, because like since like all of the PCs co-own the one actor, Mm -hmm. um, the 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 what's her name the bride the the bride that's it. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, I wonder how hard that would be to bring to a new table. So,
0: I know that that one's running pretty regularly at conventions, especially ones that uh, Magpie Games is at.
1: They, oh, I mean, they yeah. Look for,
0: yeah. Um, I know somebody who goes to conventions and runs it on the regular. I think it's probably one of the most beautifully designed books and games oh, out there. absolutely. In, yeah. in terms of PBTA. I think that if, uh, if I was willing to run it, it probably would be pretty successful. It is a hard concept and a hard game to run and I don't think I could ever run it as a public game.
1: Yeah. It, um, it's also like a high prep game, in my opinion, if you want to like have a really satisfying.
0: um, I don't think so.
1: Um, Maybe I haven't. I, have, have you read I it? haven't. So I've, I've read it and I've planned for a time when I was going to run it, but then that table mm-hmm. ended up not being able to, we kept delaying and it just, then it just never happened as you know, the, the horrors of <laughs> TTRPG uh, planning um but so i've prepped a game once um and i I found that but you know i don't run it all the time maybe if i ran it a few times i'd be like oh actually i can cut corners here and here and this is actually all that i need yeah that sort of thing
0: oh yeah yeah i mean like if you if you did run one of the run for a little longer yeah but i mean for for a four-hour game i i've seen it be pretty run very well Uh, now there are people who run it all the time I just personally on a personal I don't think I could run because of the material
1: yeah it's tough
0: Um, it's just it's a tough it's a tough hard hard one for me to run Mm -hmm. yeah so uh, but that one actually would be interesting to see I've always wanted to play it at a convention setting just to see how it would work I've only ever played it remotely Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it loses something there too same thing with like 10 candles i've run yeah oh excuse me i've run 10 candles at a at a convention as well and it was at like middle of the night and another thing uh is for anyone who wants to run 10 candles again don't do it in the middle of the night i know it's like (laughs) but everyone's tired and when everyone's rolling really well like the game stretches on (laughs) and you can only go you can only do so much (laughs) then you get to 2 a.m you're like okay guys i'm calling this (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm blowing out the candles we all die it's fine <laughs> yeah we all die i'm done have you what do you think there is something that that keeps people from not liking pbta now there have been like mm-hmm. i've had some people and they said like oh, yeah, i have had just i i, I still not like pbta blah blah blah, blah. Uh, no reason given right mm-hmm. at conventions i've been to but and it could just be they've had a bad experience but what do you think is maybe parts of the basic toolset of pbta that keeps people from not liking it
1: i i actually think the biggest thing with pbta that can keep people from not liking it has nothing to do with the games themselves and has a lot more to do with the culture around pbta as a as a movement i guess um i think that a lot of people who sell PBT to other people, not like literally sell games, but like people who try to get other people into the fold of playing them. Um, I have noticed there's like some some pretty hard antagonism among them against other game systems, Uh, not naming any names, but especially those made by Wizards of the Coast. Um, And that energy, at the end of the day, when we like things as people, it is very easy, it is very natural for us to invest some part of ourselves in that thing that we like. And so when other people are saying there's something wrong with that thing that we like, a lot of people can take that as there's something wrong with me, or these people think that there's something wrong with me. And we don't like it when people say that about us. Uh, And so the response can be kind of negative. Uh, From what I have seen from my observation of the TTRPG and specifically PBTA sphere, at least on the internet, it seems to me that the the group of people who are very counter PBTA are mostly that way because this is going to make sound like I'm making light of it. And I'm really not, but like, because their feelings have been hurt by the way that some people in the PBTA community talk about things that they like. Um, and then as a result, they're like, Oh, well, I don't like your thing. Um, and and then they won't engage with it in good faith. Now then there are some people who've had like negative experiences at PBTA tables and I think for some people and actually I have a a player I play with on a regular basis actually appeared on the show. Um, when, uh, she plays in some, uh, she's actually part of the long-term D and D campaign that I'm so nearly done running. Uh, it's been a little over three years and we're almost there when I had an end in mind for this game when we started it and it's just taken a lot longer to get there than I thought. Um, but it's been, it's been good, but, uh, she has a very strong background in DD, like in several different versions and and all of this. And when I first like had her play some PBTA stuff, um, it's not that she didn't like enjoy engaging with it. And that's not it's not that she doesn't like very good at playing the game and, and like engaging with what it delivers, but also for her, she likes the more traditional gamification at the table as well. Like, like in in DD, it's like a it is as much like a video game rpg as it is like a tabletop rpg which is instead of having the computer do the decisions and have the limits instead you roll dice and there's the conversation and the the game master who sort of arbitrates how the rules are enforced and that sort of thing but at the end of the day it is like much more sandboxy and there's some people who just really like that level of detachment they get to have like PBTA, in order to be at its best, demands that you engage on a like personal level in the narrative. And some people don't want that. It's not that they don't want to be significant, it's not that they don't want to affect the story, but they mm-hmm. want to do it at a little bit more of a distance. And uh, that's fine. Like that, that's but I think that also can drive a wedge because PBTA asks certain things from you. And some people just don't like giving that as much. They prefer other ways of engaging with um sort of role play at the table uh and you know that's everyone's got their own tastes listen you can't do everything in d I'm just sorry no <laughs> I mean
0: I know I do agree, agree
1: um but it does it does do what it does quite well um and that's why people I, I'm <laughs> might be a hard take but it uh, might be a hot take maybe you shouldn't you know share this or whatever uh but I think the reason why d d is so successful is less because uh uh, its systems are remarkable, uh, not that they are bad by any stretch, um, but it's less that their systems are remarkable and more that their timing and positioning and financial backing have always been in the right place to catapult them to greater success as opposed to, sometimes it's all about like timing and d d has had it in ways that other systems have not.
0: Yeah, well, and that's the thing, right? It's like, and I agree with you, there is a very, uh, some groups, online and in different locations whether it's on Twitter Facebook Reddit uh, things of that nature that are very uh delineated about well no DND bad my mm-hmm. might, might thing good no is fine your thing bad um and it's it, it really is hilarious though to, to go come across a post and they're just like you know this like this stories would be really great I wonder if I can do it in DND it's like but that game is right there, right in front of you. Okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> just, just, just don't ask me about converting things for you, please, because I will just point you in the direction of of a last uh, an awful C.
1: Thank you. All right. Yeah. Just... The, the really sad thing to me about that is there's a lot of people who adapt certain things for D and D, and I know in my heart of hearts, like I, I thinking from like a, an actual play, like a podcast perspective, there's a story they want to tell, and they adapt that setting and stuff. Or they adapt D and D to better suit that setting and stuff, as opposed to using a, a system that is kind of from the ground up more baked towards what they're trying to do, because D and D has such hegemony in the market, mm-hmm. it's it's so big, uh, and I and the, the sad thing is that that's from a like a reach perspective, that's still probably the right thing for them to do, yeah, um, and and that's so that's such a shame that like. I don't one one thing I don't know, and I'd be interested to hear your perspective on this. Why do you think that tabletop is as like tribal as it is? Like it, it is as communities are very focused. There's not actually, I mean, obviously, like the sphere that I have surrounded myself with are people who are pretty pluralistic when it comes to the games they're willing to play, but there's a lot of people in this community who just are not that way. In fact, I would say like the, the bulk of people would rather stay in one system basically forever. And like, you don't get that with like video games, but for some reason that's kind of the norm with tabletop games. I'm wondering why you think that might be.
0: So I'm going to come from this from a, from a historical, my my home historical viewpoint Mm -hmm. and, um, and from what I've seen in my in my experience running games for channels and seeing a little bit of glimpse into the TTRPG industry space. Yeah, my first experience with TTRPGs was trying to get into a long-running group of people who were running 3.5 because mm-hmm. they were like, We're looking for another person. Have you ever played? I was like, No, I've never, I, I know about D i've never played i've always wanted to and they invited me to the group well they were the those the typical Mm neckbeard grognards who just didn't want to share anything they were offended that i didn't go out and buy all the books i was just like they are so expensive i can't afford to right now can i just borrow your book to create my character like i just need to and they just and i never came back so from that moment on dnd was a stained thing mm-hmm. for me like i did not want to do anything to do with dnd came back to it 2018 17 mm-hmm. something like that went to a convention uh in salt lake city and there was this thing called adventurers league and i was like what the hell is this All right, whatever they had like a ton of just pre-gens and you could go to any table that started up at that time and like you can just sit at it and just play and you didn't have to know anybody Blah blah. blah. it was so fantastic ran a couple games for them i joined their 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 guild friends to this day mm-hmm. from that i jumped from that dnd over to the other side dnd i can run it i'm still part of playtest groups and all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff but it's not my bag of tea yeah, I, yeah. I know it's because of what happened 20 some odd years ago now comes to today most of the games that i play or run are pbta games mm-hmm. i am very much this is the game set that i want to play this is what i like yeah. now this is the reasons why i like it right it's very free form it's very one-shotable it's i don't like being in long campaigns mm-hmm. um like, I, I'm very much hit it and quit it when it comes to GMing. Like, people have asked me to run a campaign for some of the games. And I'm like, I am not the person you're looking for. I just <laughs> like coming, coming, doing my thing and then leaving. <laughs> I'm the guy who comes into town, shoots up the people, and leaves with his, you know <laughs> the bullet hanging off of, you know, his guts spilling out, riding off on his horse. Like, that's who I am. Um, but that's, like, that's why PBTA fits for me. Mm-hmm so I wouldn't necessarily say that people are tribalistic about it. What they are is they found what works for them. And like PPT has worked for me. Now there are other games, obviously, but I'm not like going out there and running Alice is missing every day. This is yeah. not like there, there isn't an Alice is missing universe game sets. There isn't powered by the missing, mm-hmm. you know, um, even though there should be Spencer Stark's games <laughs> are amazing. This someone will make it. But the, for the most part, again, my entire library is PBTA to the point where it's mm-hmm. probably I I really should should never look at my history of my billing because that would be pretty sad. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with this. I do that a lot. But no, it, uh, tribalistic. Um, so I don't think everything is really very tribal. It's just more. It's worth what's comfortable, and being comfortable is nice. I like being comfortable. Everyone likes being comfortable. Yeah. Everyone likes that rut, right? You get you get that ass group going. You get you're really set in there, and, and having to and being exposed to another another game, being exposed into another system, when it's especially when it can seem radically different, mm-hmm. puts people in a, into a position of being uncomfortable that people want to avoid. Like, just, especially, like, if they're coming from a Dean like you were saying, D&D background, yeah, yeah. they're a little separated, going into PBTA, where they have to embody that character, and yeah. think of that character, they're being called that character. Many, 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 all of the PBTA games say, do not call your players by their name, call them yeah. by their character name. You know, they're being they're embodying this person. And then on top of that, they're being uncomfortable because of the new play system. They're uncomfortable because they're not using all the dice they're normally used to. Maybe mm-hmm. a new player group. That right there just, just lends more to the, you know what, I'm just going to stick to.
1: What yeah. I know. I, there is a certain joy in rolling 20 die six or, or, or 15 D eight, because you, you know, just got some crazy damage and D and D or something like that. I, I see. The oh, see I thought you
0: that. were, I thought you were going to be talking about shadow run. No, there's no joy in no. having to roll 50 D six.
1: Oh, my shadow story is fun. We'll get to that in a second, actually. Uh, but I think what I'm taking away, uh, I thank you for sharing that perspective and, and like kind of how your journey has brought you here because I think the answer, at least the one that I'm going to take away from this conversation to that question is that one of the core differences between playing something at the table or playing, you know, an online game or or just playing any kind of D&D, like any, sorry, any kind of uh, video game uh, is it can only be conducted with other people. Like your, your interface isn't even the dice and the paper, it's its actually the conversation. All tabletop games are governed by that. Um, some of them are less explicit about it. Like, of course, PBTA are very explicit that this is a conversation and that's how the game is done. But like, at the end of the day, it is so people dependent. Uh, and you like talked about how like you had this pretty negative experience with relating to DD and And like, even now that like still affects you. And if I like had a bad time playing, like if I played Final Fantasy one and had a bad time, and then played Final Fantasy 14 and had a good time. My experience of those games would not really be related to one another, even though like as a franchise, like I might've had a really rough time with that one, but like, oh, well, I had a good time playing this one. And it's not as close, it's not as personal, but when once you get other people involved, we're like hardwired to connect and be influenced by and influence and like be emotionally engaged with other humans. And so the stakes are just a lot higher, I think. And that that could contribute.
0: Here's the thing, though, when it comes to that comparison right there in Final Fantasies, the say <clears throat> Final Fantasy One was your first JRPG, yeah, video game. The the types of games that were coming out at that time mm-hmm. that are all the same kind of games, like, look very different than what Final Fantasy fourteen looks like now. True. So you might like what looks what it looks like. The aesthetics mm-hmm. matter, right? And so you may have played Final Fantasy One and like I really don't like this and like the story was gonna so you just kind of wrote off all types of jrpgs at the time because they all kind of clone we're all clones honestly yeah, yeah, yeah they all just had different stories so you're like oh that kind of looks like final fantasy one I. I don't want to play that but 14 now does <clears throat> excuse me um so along the same lines right aesthetically they don't want to play pbta because it's not it, it doesn't fit what their aesthetic feels yeah. like on the it, it doesn't match the
1: aesthetic they know and enjoy
0: exactly but the play are probably still the same characters right they're still playing with the same players they're still playing with the same people just one person way hey you know what i'm running gaming next month can we just can we play this instead because yeah. that's something i run across a, a lot when it comes to posts it's like i'm running this but they always want to play this can i is there anything that's similar to this that uh can i do that but it isn't pathfinder
1: <laughs> yeah
0: that is i think oh. actually was one just recently uh
1: <laughs> just cuz it is real quick and i'm thinking about it my my shadow run experience was spending 5 hours at a table people putting together characters and never playing the game yep and that was it like that's <laughs> we spent an entire afternoon setting up for it and they're like all right and then we'll go and we'll play it you know uh in a couple of weeks because we got a, something in between and then we just never came back and played it so i've like i've created a path or sorry i've com- created a uh shadow run character and that's what i've done
0: Thick <laughs> hours we played for six hours and in most of that time was creating characters we ran one part of a heist and i was the what's the one that's the jacker the
1: mm. oh, it's been too long i can't remember there. i can't remember
0: yeah the tech runner or something like i can't remember what it's called Yeah, i was just Tech like,
1: runner I Maybe. think
0: so. It's like and time. like I was like, okay, how many D6 do I? I was like, I don't have that many. We <laughs> <laughs> started up higher. I was like, it I was like, I was like, you know what? I'm scrubbing this. And I pulled out my and- phone. <laughs> <laughs> I just started there. was like, I got this. I was like, I'm not because all, all we had at the time, I had my regular dice and we had the little uh Warhammer d 6 mm-hmm. That's all we oh, had. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not picking each each one of these up and going in to see what I got i'm not here here's what i got there there because <laughs> you can find those kind of calculators mm-hmm. no was there ever any session that you had any game that you you ran whether on the uh on this on your podcast or not that mm-hmm. you were just like oh god this is gonna just be terrible it would
1: actually turn out to be really amazing oh man i uh i uh, I'll, I'll do two stories. Uh one one short and then one podcast related. Um I the first time I ever ran Fate. Uh I was I was running out of Fate Accelerated I think is their quick start. Um mm. and Fate has actually it was one of the first non D&D systems I ran. Um it has been actually hugely influential on how I conceive of um table and scene dynamics. Uh, because of like how it considers aspects as a thing of like characters having aspects and the situation having aspects and like how it, how those work in that system is really uh, novel. And if anyone listening has never played or read Fate, you should. Uh, it, it's something that's very helpful to have in your toolkit for how you think of things as a, as a GM or as a player. But I was running Fate Accelerated and I'd read over it. And then I had a table uh, of like, Mostly just like some close friends, uh, that was gonna be coming over. And I was like, hey everybody, and I slapped it on the table. We're gonna play this. Um, I have read it. I do not have a scenario in mind. I want you to make just your, your, your most out there characters. Just just give me like the roughest stuff to work with, and we're gonna tell a story with this today. Um, and they were on board and we did that. And I going in with basically no prep, hardly understanding the system, just the the One of the characters, this is so uh, Pat, he's my brother. uh, He's been on the show several times. Uh, He created a a character called uh, Captain Hands, Fur to Hands. And uh, Captain Hands, uh, he (laughs) was just this guy who I guess like at some point had his hands amputated. And now they were like sentient and they like could do their own things. They like floated around. It was a very strange character idea. And then somebody else like, oh, that's cool. I'm going to play one of his hands. And so then somebody else was playing one of his hands. And there was like somebody who's playing a cat. It was like the, the the table of nightmares, not of dreams, as far as like characters. And we ended up doing a story where we were uh, trying to run for mayor of Hell, Michigan. Um, we're trying to become the mayor of Hell. Uh, and uh, slowly our setting developed into this really weird version of the United States. It, like very, very strange. And it, it was... It ended with like a a a meteor, a like meteor, a, a meteor composed entirely of meat heading towards the Earth. Uh, and how
0: did I know you were going to say that?
1: It <laughs> it was to this day. Uh, I remember so many details from that one shot, not because like I was ready or it was particularly memorable, but because like things just worked out in a remarkable way. Um, it's one of those times where uh, I learned that sometimes you just have to trust the system that things like it has been designed in such a way that it will resolve somewhere and as long as you you trust that in your heart and you push the story forwards you will end up somewhere and the the more experience you get doing that the better you'll get at how you guide that and making something better of course but like you'll get somewhere and we did and it was really fun Uh, that was one where like I came in with little expectations I just wanted to try this and things actually worked out really well. Um the one I was like worried about on the show was actually I was probably most worried about the watch. It was our first like true foray into a like really serious story and the watch has like a very uh like delicate set of themes uh like as far as like how you should approach and handle them and it was just the first time we needed to like take that level of care I would say on the on the show and I was like super nervous going into that one because like i was wondering if my notes were enough and i i was like trying to figure out if the the watch is also it's a pretty crunchy pbta game um Mm -hmm. it it has some some really um distinct tech in it um how it handles like missions and like you pre-roll for them and then you like narrate out how it goes and it's Everything's mostly about the in-between times. There's lots of relation mechanics. There's like two kinds of like currency going up and down. Uh, it's it's pretty like technically um, it requires a little more thought. It's kind of like uh, we mentioned Blades in the Dark offhand earlier. I think um, Bit Bit D is maybe we didn't. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just mentioning it now. We're uh, mentioning it now. <laughs> Blades in the Dark is another one where it's like it's got more crunch. It's deceptively crunchy. Um yeah. as as far as PBTA games are concerned. Um, and I was like really nervous going into that game. And then by the time we got through the end of the first recording session, I'm like, no, this is going really well. And then at the end of the second one, I was like, that might have been the best eight hours I have ever GM'd. Like that, that was, but it just turned out phenomenal. Um, and we were like so excited at the end of that game. And I did not think I was going to be hitting those levels of elation that we felt in resolving, you know, in those final few scenes. Um, I did not feel like, I did not think I was going to have those levels of elation when I started running that. I was so nervous about it. So that's a great example. No, that was a, that was a fantastic art. It's still up there,
0: up there in the top two for me. Um, Monster of the Week always holds, holds my, Oh man. <laughs> holds that. I can't, I can't <laughs> let it go just because it's one of my favorite systems. But
1: my, um, my goal at the Monster of the Week game was that we do something. Cause like there's a ton of fantastic Monster of the Week podcasts. Um, and I didn't want to tread any ground that had already been tread so well by so many phenomenal shows. And I'm like, if we're going to we're gonna play Monster of the Week on this show, we're going to do something that, as far as I'm aware, people haven't particularly done with Monster of the Week yet, which was take it to space.
0: Which is true. Speaking of just like of, of breaking yeah, molds, yeah. right? Like, Monster of the Week is always taking place in places like, you know, cities, yeah. forests, etc. Small towns, et big cities, small towns, things of that nature. Um yeah, you took Monster League and put it in space, uh, which is definitely not something I've ever seen. Any other Scrape those serial uh, numbers right uh, off. <laughs> yep. Um but no that was a that was a, a great uh a
1: great arc. I yeah was that your longest arc I think it was until the between um the, the between, between finally, the finally beat it out by like an hour um once everything was added up. Uh, I have, I have convenient Spotify playlists so I can see how long each of the arcs are because they, they tabulate it for me. Um, Nice. Very nice. But yeah, it it was the longest for a while. It, it definitely had the most recording sessions because we just couldn't, we couldn't get anywhere in in one. And so we kept having to re-record. Just because of the, just the, the absurdity of the back of of the background, everything, or just the things. It it was also just the table. Um, it was it was the table. Uh, we kept having like issues with people like being there on time. So then like we when we'd start we and we had like a table of people who like were really good friends. And so the, we had the the joke on that one that like Gel uh, and Pat just shared a brain cell, and that was like so true in person as well. Um, and uh, I mean I think that arc still has our highest percent blooper to um, content ratio of I think forty percent. Mm-hmm. 40% bloopers for that arc is wild. Usually it's like 20. It's, it was like literally twice as much faffing in that arc as opposed to others. So yeah, no, it, it was a tough one to finish, but we, we did get there. We got to the end of the story. Listen, I, as a Patreon, appreciate more <laughs> bloopers. I just want you to know.
0: So as a final of this, uh, filing out all of this, yeah. um, is there anything that you learned and taken from pbta and apply to other games outside of the pbta sphere because i know i yeah. have the last time i ran D mm-hmm. was a play test for um what's the the, the last not the one some of the last one. is the rhyme of the frost mm-hmm. maiden
1: yeah that's a recent one
0: and so my friends wanted to play it and i was like okay i'll run it but one of the things i dislike about dnd is the initiative turn order and it takes forever so i was like you know what everything else i run exactly like DD, whatever you know investigation get it yeah but when it comes to combat i'm going to run this like a monster week dynamic combat so but i didn't necessarily tell them i was going to do that so there was like some i can't remember what the event was it was like goblins were trapping snow bears or something like that or polar bears and they ran across them because they got lost in the blizzard and as they go the person i had them all roll initiative and the and the the monk ran towards it and i just ran the the whole combat dynamically like i would in a cinematic mm. way still like incorporating the dnd initiative order but things happened not in a vacuum yeah which is what happens in dnd combat and that's what it feels like. Like it happens all in a vacuum. Like, oh, you do this one thing. And then like, oh, then things happen. Yeah. And it's like, no, it happens as, you, as you're as you doing it. That way, then when the next person goes, something has already changed. Um, and they were just like, what was that? What did you do once we finished? I was like, oh, I run PBTA. Like, this is how I run combat. And I'm just adjusting. And they're like, oh, we
1: love that. Keep doing that. I was like, Dumb. Perfect. <laughs> R- rubs hands together. Yes. Yes, yes, that's good. That's good. Uh oh man. Um, I hadn't even thought about the how like running combat and stuff in PBTA has shaped how I treat it in D D, but like it definitely it definitely has. Um I think the number one thing that I felt like an idiot when I first read it and realized that it was just something cause, cause like, I was like, oh, you can do that? Um, in in Brindlewood Bay, um, there are these things called paint the scene questions, uh, which are questions generally for locations, but they can also be for mysteries or for like opening scenes and et cetera, where you say, okay, here's where we are, or here's somebody you've met, or here's the scenario. And then you ask a a leading, but like a pretty open leading question that like, for instance, uh, one of them we have in our bitter rivals mystery mystery um, is like uh, when you first, so it, it's like takes place at a school. Mostly uh, you're investigating a, what happened to a particular teacher who was in the firebird costume. If anyone's listened to the podcast has it's our, it's our Burnwood Bay game we play on the arc. Um, and uh, when you go to his classroom, the paint the scene question for that is like, what do you see around you that uh, makes it clear that uh, uh, Rob Kestrel, the teacher, has been living more in his classroom than at home. Um, and so like, it's it's a leading question in that it's, it's already giving you the framework of like how to direct your energies, but then it also lets the players assign new information to the game. It's like, it's a little way to let them in on constructing the narrative because like what's in here could affect the scene. It could affect the world building depending on what they decide. Um, and when I first read that, I was like, oh, you can do that? Like I can just, I can just spin things around to the table, ask the players to build my world, <laughs> And I think the key thing, what makes it not feel cheap to the players who are are looking for that like keeper to player dynamic as opposed to a more uh, open, everyone is kind of the keeper, um, more flat uh, structure at the table, which also can be fun for, for games, don't get me wrong. Uh, but for players who are looking for that relationship by having the questions you ask be more structured it feels it, it it prevents asking those kinds of questions from feeling like there is no like It it prevents the breaking of immersion, I think, um, because it means that the, the GM does have an intent here. Um, but they're actually, they're letting you populate some of the details to flesh out that intent. But when you just ask like, Oh, I don't know, you're in the room. I don't know. What do you see around you? That asking questions like that can be immersion breaking because to the players it can seem like you don't even know what's going on right and and for some like they want to have that trust in in you running the table and so learning about how brindlewood bay does paint the scene questions and by extension lots of other car from brindlewood games um i i take that all the time into other stuff i take that into other pbta games i run that don't have it as a built-in mechanic i take that to uh, like my D&D table uh, on my, my weekly game that will eventually finish. Um, and- uh, It'll never finish, David. You, you say that? We, we are finish. in, we're in the final arc. We're in the back half. We are leading up to our big confrontation. Um, we have the denouement planned. It is coming. It's just not coming as quickly as I thought that it would. Um, <laughs> which isn't that d in a nutshell. Everything takes longer yeah. than you think until your players, like, accidentally speedrun something. Um, we, we did a, a Feywild arc where we were supposed to go do all this stuff to, like, prevent this historical war from happening because we were in the past at the time. And we, we lovingly refer to it as the Feywild speedrun because a combination of good dice rolls and, like, really clever moves by the players basically outmaneuvered every challenge I had set for them there. And instead of, like, accomplishing it in the course of, like, in-game, like... A couple of months they did it in like one week uh and got like in in and out stopped everything moved on to the next part of the story and it sometimes that's just how the, the unpredictability of uh tabletop is one of the things that keeps me coming back to it things really can go pretty much any way and you won't know until you play it to find out it is one of the
0: one of the best things is surprise
1: in yeah. a yeah actually that is the biggest thing i took away from playing pbta is that attitude of play to find out. Um, That is something that absolutely is present at all of my tables. It does not matter how much stuff I prepared. It does not matter what game I am running. Um, We at that table will be playing to find out. And that's always fun. It's the best part. And speaking of playing to find out,
0: David, do you want to play a game? Do you want to play a game with me, David?
1: Yes, Mr. Saucer. I'd love to play a game.
0: You know, I only liked actually the first first of those movies, the rest
1: of them like, eh. I have not seen any of them because I cannot watch horror.
0: Oh, that's interesting because we're actually going to be
1: playing. I know it's really funny to me, um, especially people on the show. They mention all the time that uh, David likes to hurt his friends Um, and (laughs) and that uh, I love horror trappings. Um, I, I bring them in whenever possible. I I love to, to describe the horrific, um, partly because I love to do comedies and horror and comedy just are, are such good friends because the, it's all about the gap, right? You know, uh, and when you can plunge people to the depths of despair, it is that much easier to make them chuckle at something being out of place. I cannot watch, I can read horror. I can, for the most part, listen to it, but I can't watch it because like I have this strange there's some people when they're like at the table they really insert themselves into it and so like it can like really stress them out to like deal with particular you know uh, scenes and themes Uh, for me it's like if I'm watching a film I'm like laser focused into it and so horror like it does things to my body that I do not like and so I, Mm -hmm. I can't watch it I
0: have the I have the same problem with horror uh watching it not mind listening to it am my yeah. reading it um playing it same um but watching it on the screen and stuff oh. I have a hard time um first one was more of like psychological so I think that's mm-hmm. why uh the rest of them are just same thing with like black mirror that's why I like black mirror it's more psychological than, than most um okay well let's, let's uh let's get prepared and then uh, we'll get started with our game so we'll be right back if you would like to be a guest on the show please email guests at moreshoddyplays.games with your contact information thank you for listening to wish i could play